Good morning, everyone. It's an unmerited privilege to be here to be able to preach to you. Uh, uh, we've come to learn, and if learning is mutual, then I'm here to share what God has laid on my heart. Let's turn, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 33 through to 43. Luke, chapter 23, I'm reading from verse 33. And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, forgive, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garment among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were scoffing at him, saying, you saved others. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging there was blaspheming him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. This is one of my favorite passages, and it will be yours also if you really meditate on this passage. J.C. Ryle said, this passage should be written in gold. John Calvin said, no man receives this kind of grace. A dying criminal saved from the cross itself and transported to paradise. What a grace. Brothers and sisters, there were, there were three crosses that day and three people died on those three crosses. But they all died differently. One died in sin as a sinner, and went to hell. The other thief died to sin as a saint and went to heaven. But Christ in the middle, he died for sin as the Savior. The whole world is represented there by these two thieves. There are only two sides to Christ. Jesus in Matthew 12, 30, he said, if you're not with me, you're against me. There's no middle ground. Those who repent and turn to Christ in faith and are saved, and those who remain in sin. Only two kinds. It, will, it would do enormous good to us to examine ourselves as to which group we belong but because there is no other choice. Have we died to sin? Friends, there are only two ways to die. In sin and in Christ. Jesus in uh, John 8 he says, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die 
and sin. John 8, 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So a lot of people die in their sins. Those who believe in Christ also die, but they die not in their sins because their sin is paid for in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So those of us who are believers, when we die, we die in Christ, in the Lord. Revelation 14:13 says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. There are only two ways to die, in sin or in the Lord. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. It's interesting to notice seven similarities between these two thieves hanging on two sides of Christ. Seven similarities and seven dissimilarities. Would you mind if I turn this into an interactive session? Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I want you to tell me what are the seven similarities between these two thieves. And later on, Seven dissimilarities. Both were guilty, equally guilty. Okay? And because of their guilt, what were they facing? Second similarity. Yeah, both were dying in punishment. Both were being crucified. Okay. Third similarity. I can present all, all, all my notes, but I want you to think, and uh, this processing helps you to retain uh, these lessons. Wow, yes. Thank you for saying that. Both Matthew and Mark say in their Gospels that both reviled Christ. So both blasphemed Christ. But one repented later on. But both reviled against Christ. Any other similarity that you can see? Excellent, excellent. Have you seen my notes before? <laughs> Have you seen my notes? <laughs> Both had equal access to the Savior. Both were equally nearer to Christ. Think about it. The one who repented was not closer to Christ than the other. Both had access. And as you said, another... Similarities, both saw and heard firsthand all that happened there. The unrepentant thief was not deaf and blind. He also saw and heard all that happened. But two different responses. Another similarity. Both knew and acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, the unrepentant thief said, you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. So he knew that he was the Messiah. And the repentant thief also said, remember me, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom. Meaning, you're dying now, but that's not the end of you. You're going to raise. And as the promised Messiah, you will return your kingdom. 
both knew that Jesus was the Messiah. One more interesting similarity is that both prayed for salvation. In fact, the unrepentant thief is the one who prayed first. In his own words, he said, 39, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. In other words, he said, save us. He prayed for salvation. And even this, uh, the repentant thief ultimately said, Jesus, remember me or have mercy on me when you come in your kingdom. So both prayed for salvation and mercy. Have you gotten all the seven? I want you to be able to repro reproduce all this at home when you discuss the sermon priest. Let me read my notes. Both had equal access to the Savior and they were equally nearer to Christ. Second, both saw and heard all that happened. Thirdly, they were equally wicked and in need of forgiveness. Fourthly, both were dying in punishment, hanging on the cross, in pain, excruciating that is. But even then, one would not yield to the, to the gospel, even while dying a death on the cross. Some people are like that. They would rather blaspheme and die in pain than repent and trust in Christ. Fifthly, both insulted Christ and blasphemed Him. Sixthly, both knew and acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. Seventhly, both prayed to Jesus for salvation. Yet, one went to heaven, the other to hell. Why? We need to see the similarities. In spite of these similarities, they had two different eternal destinies. Can you tell me the differences? The similarities? Absolutely. One acknowledges, acknowledged his guilt, the other didn't. Perfect. What else? Say that again. Yeah, what? Oh, yeah? Good. I want you to think. In every church, these two kinds of people are still there. The ratio may be different depending on the truthfulness of the word preached, purity of the word preached, but there still be these two sets of people. One feared God. And the other didn't. Excellent. What else? Come with me. Let's explore. Very interesting. This is my personal study uh, with the aid of a lot of speakers and material that I've come across. One prayed for physical and temporary deliverance but the other for spiritual and eternal deliverance. The repentant thief didn't ask, didn't care to be gotten out of the cross. But the first unrepentant thief who, who prayed, save us, was only concerned about getting out of the painful cross. He didn't care for eternity. The, the here and the now would suffice for him. All that mattered for him was the here and the now. The repentant thief knew that he would anyway die, even if Christ brings him down from the cross. Ultimately, we all die. So what's the big deal in getting delivered temporarily? Friends, 
You tell me, why do people go to hell? Because of their sickness or because of their sin? What should be taken care of? Poverty, sickness, temporary problems, physical limitations? No. Even if Christ had brought both of them down from the cross, that would be simply momentarily help. All that matters is eternity. Both prayed. What are we praying, praying for? You know, charismatic movement is thriving in India because these preachers promise health, wealth, and prosperity. People simply want to be healthy and wealthy. They don't care for eternity. The second dissimilarity between these two thieves hanging on both sides of Christ, one prayed with derision and contempt. He said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Why should Christ save them who were blaspheming him? Is that the kind of prayer we should expect God to answer? He was mocking at Christ while even saying, save us. It's like a thief asking another thief who is well-connected, highly influenced, asking him, hey, when you get out of this jail somehow, think about us also. I mean, save us also. As if he is a fellow thief. He's asking Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other prayed with repentant faith. Third dissimilarity is, it's very interesting. One said, save us. But the other said, remember me. He personalized it. Friends, there's no corporate salvation. Salvation is personal. You have to breathe your own breath. You have to take your own medicine. You have to repent for yourself and you have to trust for yourself. There's a misnomer among Christians. We are born Christians. There's nobody who is born Christian. We are born sinners. Nobody is a born Christian. It's a matter of personal repentant faith in Christ that saves people. Not because we are born in a Christian family. Are we saying, save us? Or are we saying, save me, a wretched sinner? One prayer was rejected while the other was answered. Jesus simply didn't care, the first prayer. Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and send us. Save yourself and us. No answer. The repentant thief's prayer was immediately answered. Friends, Jesus was quiet. He was not responding to all the mocking. He didn't, he didn't say a word responding to them. But when a repentant thief prays, he gives immediate response. One prayer is answered, another not answered. Fifthly, one continued to revile Christ, but the other repented and feared God. One blasphemed, and the other believed. One hardened to the end, the other softened at last. Warren Wiesby said, Sixthly, one joined his voice with the crucifiers who said, you saved others, save now yourself. That's the tone 
of the unrepentant thief's prayer. But the repentant thief, penitent thief joined Christ's followers who would repent and seek for mercy. Humbly cry out for mercy. Seventhly, as I said, uh, there are only two ways to die, dying in sin and dying in Christ. So one died in sin, but the other died in Christ. Have you ever wondered how the repentant thief all of a sudden stopped blaspheming Christ and trusted Christ? Have you ever wondered what happened to him right on the cross? Has he heard any new sermon there? Has he seen any miracle there on the cross? What must have happened? Have you ever wondered? By the way, <clears throat> how is a sinner saved? What takes, what it takes to, uh, for a sinner to, save, to be saved? Say that again, brother. Absolutely, absolutely. I love John 6 where it is repeatedly said, unless I draw, unless the Father grants, no one comes to the Father. And no, no, no one comes to the uh, Son unless the Father draws him. Yeah, so it is the miraculous work of the Lord that brought about immediate, instantaneous conversion in this thief who was equally blaspheming Christ until then. My question now is, from a human perspective, what does it take for a sinner to be saved? Um, At nine o'clock, they nailed this man, cursing and fighting, screaming to his cross. They broke his legs and hurled him into eternity. He went straight into paradise. He was not baptized. He wasn't confirmed. He wasn't enrolled in any church. He didn't confess to the priest nor to the saints, although there were a lot of priests around, plenty of them. He had no claim to moral character. He didn't ask Mary to pray for him, even though she was present. He called on none of the saints. He was a lost soul on his way to hell, who suddenly, when, uh, when suddenly he flung his soul at Jesus' feet. This is a quote by somebody. What does it take for a sinner to be saved? How are we saved? Faith. Acts 16, 31. The jailer asks Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And the response is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. So what does it take from human perspective, from human standpoint? We need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. Is that it? Repentance. The Bible repeatedly wants people to repent and turn to God. The first message of God, of, of Christ, and the, and, and, and the continual sermon of John the Baptist, repent. Repent. Brothers and sisters, repentance and faith are the twin elements which are human responsibilities. Okay? You need to ask me for biblical evidence for it. I'm going to show you. Acts 20, 18, and 2021. 
Acts 20, um, 18, 20, and 21. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you in the, uh, with you the whole time. Uh, let me read 19 as well. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul in tears and in trials continuously taught the Ephesian church. He's talking in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders. He taught primarily repentance and turning toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Do you find preachers preaching much on repentance these days? That that's what it takes for a sinner to be saved. One must repent and turn to God and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin. No other way. Also, in Acts 26, we see the same twin elements in Paul's testimony before King Agrippa. The Bible repeatedly calls us to repent and trust in Christ for salvation. And I want you to notice that this repentant sinner who heard the assurance of salvation from Christ's own mouth, that that day itself he was going to be with Christ in paradise. He was saved. And for salvation, if it requires repentance and trust, this thief should also must have repented and trusted in Christ. Let's see the evidences of repentance and faith in, in this repentant sinner, repentant thief. We can see the evidences of repentance in him. First, though he too blasphemed Jesus at first, he turned 180 degrees and not only stopped blaspheming Christ, but also declaring that Jesus was innocent from insulting Christ to declaring that Christ is innocent. This is 180 degrees turning. That is repentance. Repentance involves a definite life change. Forsaking of old sinful ways 180 degrees turning is you are going away from God, pursuing your sinful pleasures, farther and farther, you're in a rebellious mode, you're running away from God. And what happens when you repent and turn to God, you turn all the way around and pursue Christ, love Him, follow Him. The world is left behind. You're pursuing godliness, following Christ. He not only stopped blaspheming, but started rebuking the other criminal for doing so. That is the fruit of repentance. Genuine repentance brings about a definite change. The second evidence of repentance in this penitent thief is he feared God. He feared God. Friends, fear of God is a mark of repentance. Fear of God is a mark of repentance. The wicked have no fear of God. Paul says in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. No, the famous passage, Romans 3.10-18. All are sinners. There's no, not even a single person who is innocent. And he's describing the characteristics of wicked 
people. And finally he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Lack of fear is a characteristic of the unsaved, unregenerate sinners destined to the eternal punishment. You know, he started fearing God. He said, don't you fear God? If sinful men were crucifying criminals, the crucifiers were not sinless. The sinful men were crucifying criminals. And his logic was, how much more would the holy, almighty God do? If you can't withstand criminals, why would God? People are killing the guy who would anyway die. I like uh, Matthew 10, 28. It says, do not fear those who kill the body and can't kill the soul, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We need to fear God because He's more powerful. He can decide and determine our destiny. Fear of God is a mark of repentance. Thirdly, the penitent thief confessed his sin and acknowledged that his punishment was just. I'm going to interview a lot of people in the prison. Do you think everybody would say or would confess that they committed all the allegations that were there on, on them? People try to defend. This penitent thief didn't defend. He didn't have to confess. But uh, I mean, before the Roman soldiers who were crucifying him and before everybody else around, he was publicly saying, we are receiving the just punishment because of what we've done. He said, we've done things worthy of death. If we really repent, we will ho have no qualms about confessing. And we will also say, whatever punishment you're experiencing is just a little of what we deserve. He confessed his sin and acknowledged that his punishment was just. See what he says to the other thief in verse 41, and he said, and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for what we have done. Death on a cross was just for him. For all that he perpetrated. Friends, confession is saying the same thing what God has said about us. Confession is saying the same thing. If the Bible says that we are sinners and we repent and confess our sin, we are saying the same thing about us as, uh, as to what God has said. True repentance confesses sin and acknowledges punishment to be just. Fourthly, a repentant heart prays for mercy. Just as the penitent thief said, remember me, Jesus. That's a cry for mercy. Are we not reminded of the tax collector who prayed for mercy? John Calvin said, conversion cannot be separated from prayer. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we really repent and confess our sin, we will pray for mercy. By the way, how would you differentiate between grace and mercy? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. What do we deserve? Eternal wrath. 
but crying for mercy to spare us from the just punishment is what the repentant sinner did. So, do you see the fruit of repentance in this penitent thief? And now we need to see if he really believed in Christ. Let's see. We're going to see the characteristics of true faith in this repentant thief. First, he heard the gospel. How and where and when? God has his mysterious ways of making sure his elect hear the gospel. You know who preached gospel to him? The revilers. They said, you saved others. So Jesus hanging on the cross is declared to be the Savior. He hears the gospel. He saved others. That's why he could call and cry, Jesus, remember me. Or in other words, save me too, because you saved others. Also, he just heard Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what, they do, what they're doing. So faith was miraculously generated in this repentant thief's heart that Jesus forgives, and his prayer for forgiveness was a result of Jesus' prayer of forgiveness. So he heard the gospel and responded to the gospel in faith. Secondly, he also believed that Jesus was sinless and so didn't deserve to die. Friends, the death that Christ died on the cross, he didn't have to die because only sinners should die. The wages of sin is death. Jesus was sinless. He didn't have to die. But he was still dying. The principle is we reap what we sow. But you know what happened on the cross? We sowed and he reaped. He sowed and we now reap. What did we sow? Sin. The sin Jesus bore on the cross was not his. It was yours and mine. The righteousness that we enjoy now is not ours. It was Jesus who sowed righteousness, that lived a perfect sinless life for 33 years, proving to be a, an unblemished lamb to be slain for the sin of the world. Jesus' obedience was two kinds. Active obedience throughout his life, passive obedience on the cross or during crucifixion. He obeyed all that we had to obey on our behalf and secured his perfect righteousness for us to be entrusted, I mean, for us to be entrusted and given, dispensed. Jesus was sinless, and the repentant thief acknowledged that. Jesus was a silent, he was silent like a lamb before the slaughterers. Normally, you know what happens when people are, are, are hanging on the cross helplessly, vultures and uh, other birds come and eat their flesh because the flesh will be spread on the shoulders and the face because of the whipping. And some birds even uh, can eat the eyes, you know, because the hanging person can't can drive away the birds. So because of this scorching heat and because of thirst and because of uh, pain, excruciating pain, those who hang on the cross curse people in the worst manner. But Jesus was silent like a lamb before slaughters. Because for that he came to the world. 
She was witnessing all this. Thirdly, he believed that Jesus, though Jesus was about to die, he would rise again and Jesus was the Messiah, the King, who would one day return to rule his kingdom. Friends, he had more faith and understanding than all the religious leaders there put together. And now we need to understand the miraculous work of God. Why would a Christ-hating, blaspheming criminal repent and believe in Christ all of a sudden? But for God? The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God and unable to please God, Romans 8, 7, and 8. The natural man cannot understand the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Because Satan blinded his mind to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Therefore, God has to graciously grant both repentance and faith. Friends, what God commands, He also provides. Who else can? If God doesn't grant repentance and faith, none of us would be here. Let's see some biblical evidence to establish the truth that repentance is a gift of God as faith also is. Repentance is a gift of God according to Acts eleven eighteen. Peter is being misunderstood by the Jews because Peter went to the house of uh, Cornelius, the centurion, Roman centurion. But then Peter testifies that even the Gentiles repented. And Acts eleven twenty eight says that God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. In 2 Timothy 2.25, we read that God may give repentance to those in opposition. That's why the church leaders have to exercise patience and long-suffering because God may grant repentance to those who rebel. It is God who grants repentance even to the rebels. rebels. Um, Romans 2.4 says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It is God's kindness and forbearance and patience that leads us to repentance. So, who is the author of repentance? Who gives us repentance? It's God. What about faith? Faith also is a gift of God. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It is given to you to believe. In Acts 18.27, very interesting passage. Acts 18.27, we find Apollos going to Achaia and greatly helping those who had believed through grace. What a beauty that is. They believed not because they were intellectuals, not because they were more genius than others, not because they were more religious than others, they believed through grace. Friends, if we have believed in Jesus, it was because of the grace of God. So repentance is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. Friends, conversion of a sinner is the most miraculous and sovereign intervention of God. Oh, how grateful we ought to be for our own conversion. Are we? We need to thank God for the gift of repentance and for the gift of faith. More knowledgeable people, more educated people, 
are struggling to figure out about the origin of the world. But what about even small children who trust in Jesus? They can easily and clearly and uncompromisingly affirm that God is the creator of the whole universe. Friends, for anyone to, to be able to rescue anybody from danger, he needs to have the ability and power and also love and concern to use that ability to rescue the person in danger. For you to save anybody, you need to be able and you need to be loving. You need to have both. For a person dying on the cross, about to land up in hell, for Jesus to save him forever, he also needs to be powerful and loving. Jesus is both loving and powerful. I like what somebody said. <clears throat> uh, this is beautiful. I, I just enjoy reading this. This is the power of Jesus to save. He was in greatest weakness, hanging on the cross. Yet even then, he heard and granted a sinner's petition and opened the gates of heaven. This was power. Physically weak, about to die. Some people even die because of the whipping. He is powerful to save sinners. Those seemingly about to die physically. And now think about the mercy of Christ. Think about whom he saved. Did he save a guy who was worthy, who was, about, who was going to, after Jesus saves him, serve him and be useful for him? Listen to this. There is nothing in the penitent thief's past to recommend him. Nothing notable in his present position. He was nailed to the cross and he could do nothing to save himself. Then Christ showed compassion. This was mercy. Saving a person who is utterly useless is pure grace. I like this statement. The cross of Christ is the key that opens the doors of paradise. Friends, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ for forgiveness? I don't presuppose that everybody who comes to the church is saved. Think with me. This is my final kind of punch statement. Friends, it pains me the most in this story to see that the unrepentant thief didn't care to ask Jesus to remember him too even after he witnessed the other thief's conversion and Jesus' assurance of eternal life. In his own hearing, all this happened in his own sight. Even at that moment, because he could witness the Jesus forgiving the one who blasphemed him. He could have said, Jesus, won't you please remember me too? Me too. He didn't say that. Don't you think he deserves hell punishment? Dying on the cross in his very last moments in excruciating pain you wouldn't 
still acknowledge Christ to be the Savior. He wouldn't still repent of his sin. He wouldn't cry for mercy. Friends, you must have seen younger people than you repenting and turning to Christ in faith. But you wouldn't yield. Your subordinates, people from poor countries are turning to Christ. How should the Southern Baptist or, a, or, or people from the Bible Belt, how much more should respond in repentance and faith? If you truly love yourself and seek your best, you would repent and trust in Christ for salvation. John Piper said, God is a dangerous God apart from Christ. If you don't have the covering of Christ, God is a dangerous God. Have you trusted in Christ for forgiveness of sin and for eternal salvation? May God have mercy on those of us who haven't experienced redemption in Christ to repent and trust in Him. May God also help those of us who are redeemed to witness like the saved thief that Christ is sinless and that is king and that is coming back again to rule in his kingdom. He witnessed right on the cross. That's the mark of a believer. You will be a witness as the Holy Spirit empowers you. God bless you.